0: Hey there, podcast
1: listeners, welcome to a new episode of Field Days, an award-winning podcast about news and hot topics related to the Michigan Department of Corrections. Here are your almost-witty hosts, Chris Gouts and Greg Straub.
2: Hello and welcome to a new episode of Field Days Podcast. I'm Greg Straub, joined as always by the department spokesperson, Chris Gouts. Chris, what do you think about uh,
0: uh, part one? Uh-huh. I loved it because, well, not because I was part of it, or, yeah. or, or definitely not you, but <laughs> Uh, we had an <clears throat> amazing guest, uh, Secretary Wetzel, and I'm really looking forward to hearing part two. And we got a great response from the first uh, episode, yep. and I think people are going to really uh, enjoy hearing uh, the conclusion of that. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, good one-liners in that episode, wasn't there? Yeah, very very much so. You had you had your favorite quote. Okay. Uh, I had mine. My, I, I had to stretch mine. I, I tweeted it, but it took over two tweets. Yes. Uh, but yours is only one, and it was very... A lot more it's action very pointed yes. more more pointed more action verbs in your quote, but I think <laughs> I think overall uh, it, it was really good. I think it was a really good message to hear because I think it 's the whole point of why we invite people from outside of Michigan to be on this podcast is so that our employees can hear about what 's going on in other states, and I think what really helps is when those individuals really amplify mm-hmm. the message that we 're doing, and they can see that it 's not just us we 're not an outlier, other states are doing this or following us or, right. or going along with us. In the things that we're doing around offender success and the whole point of correcting behavior, making changes with individuals' lives, it's really great to hear that other states are doing the exact same thing. Uh, I think it really boosts and bolsters our our point uh, of what we're doing and why why it's important.
2: Yes, we're we're all speaking the same language. No matter if you're in Pennsylvania or Michigan, it's all about helping people and. Long-term uh, public safety, right? That's right. Long-term public safety, funding success. I did find it interesting when uh, Secretary Watson was talking about their early childhood things, with uh, you know targeting kids, and they, they know the areas where they have um, you know struggling families and, and struggling kids in school. And you know his message was we need to laser focus on those kids and help them get them to a point where you know we're not seeing you know that that pipeline to prison. So it was it was very interesting, and I, I you know I can't wait to hear part two. Uh, I know we know what he's going to say, but uh, it, yeah, was, we it, was, it was just as, it was just as engaging in Part 2 as it was Part 1. So, um, b- But before we get to that, we probably should talk about a couple of things happening across the department this week. Um, you know, rec day is on Friday, so make sure that uh, everybody gets out and enjoys the company of everyone in the Department of Corrections. You, know, you can network, you can play some you can have activities, you can play golf, you can, you can bowl, you can have a nice dinner, there's going to be some trivia, lots of, lots of stuff going on on rec day, so make sure that... Um, you get out and, and have some fun this Friday.
0: Yeah, you you may have seen one or two or twenty emails uh, about that. Uh, 50, 60. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't say that you weren't warned uh, that Rec Day is coming up. It's gonna be it's gonna be great. Day. So what what else happened across the department this week, Chris? I know we had we had a big change in uh, CFA, right? Yeah. So one of the big things that we wanted to note was that uh, last week marked the end of our time with a private uh, food vendor, uh, First Airmark, and then Trinity. Uh, On July 31st, we officially ended that contract with Trinity, and we are now officially all converted. Uh, All of our facilities and all of the kitchens are running uh, with state uh, workers. And so this was a huge uh, transition. Obviously, it generated a lot of attention, a lot of news, and some not always good uh, we recognize that, and we, we made changes. This was a huge lift for the staff that were involved, from uh, Julie Hamp and Kevin Weisenborn all the way on down, for all the people that were involved at, uh, on, on the committee that helped oversee it, but all the wardens, all the staff, and all the facilities. Um, this was a huge thing to do it's not just you can't just flip a switch and say okay trinity's gone and now we're going to run in the kitchens there was so much involved in, in hr and, and all across hiring 350 people going through all of those processes putting making sure we had all the equipment all of the all the logistics all the ordering all the food all everything that was there and the staff did an outstanding job and everything went off without a hitch we had a, an <coughs> amazingly smooth transition uh, it doesn't mean that we're done now. Obviously, we've got to keep on the gas and make sure that everything continues to run smooth. Um, and I have no doubt uh, that it will because the staff did such an amazing job getting it to this point. And now, we'll, as we go forward, we'll we'll begin working on contracts and so that we can com- completely and fully have our own supply chain. And that'll be done over the course of the next, you know, a year or so. Uh, and then we'll be uh, hopefully continuing down this path. Um, But we've got 350-ish new state employees all working in our kitchens, all doing a great job. And, uh, you know, the director (coughs) went out and and thanked uh, the staff that were responsible for that and for making this a success, and and I want to echo that as well. This is a huge, huge thing, and uh, it went off without a hitch. So congrats to those staff.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a pretty big shift. So yeah, good job making that transition. I know that wasn't that wasn't a very easy thing to do for CFA and a lot of people up here. So um, hey, but you know, without further ado, let's uh, let's get to part two of Secretary John Wetzel from the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections.
0: You know, you were on 60 Minutes, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, uh, talking about you, you, you traveled the world and, and you've seen how corrections is done in other places. And, and obviously with ASCA and I see you've been able to see some other states as well. And I'm just wondering, you know, what you've seen, uh, especially overseas, maybe that you've that you've brought home or that you thought was a good idea that, that might translate well or, or might be something that, that prisons in Michigan or Pennsylvania or elsewhere might uh, should latch on to and, and try.
1: Yeah, my trip to, uh, I went to Germany and the Netherlands. Uh, several years ago and that was featured uh, the Germany piece was featured on 60 minutes it was really transformative from my standpoint as far as my perspective on what's possible uh, inside Corrections now like I said I've spent my whole career here in Pennsylvania and and we're a a state well obviously the first prison in America was Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia that you know they created the penitentiary uh, penitence model you know with Ben Franklin and that crew. So corrections is near and dear to our hearts here in Pennsylvania. And I always thought that we ran uh, great prisons if such a thing exists. And I I felt like we did corrections right. But I went over to to Germany and the Netherlands. And, um, you know, I'm a classic ugly American. (laughs) So I've never traveled overseas. I really wasn't even buying into this whole notion that I could learn anything over there. But it was like a free trip to Germany and the Netherlands, and I figured, you know, I tore prisons, which I love to do, and I hit a bunch of bars overseas, which <laughs> is a horrible, you know, week. And I get in these prisons, and they're the most humane, the most humane prisons and humane systems I've ever seen in my life. And it really, um, it really transformed my perspective as to what is possible. Now, I got to tell you, the key factor in both Germany and the Netherlands there. Um, that's very different here is that the general public expects their prisons to be humane. It's part of their constitution that um, it's almost like the, the first do no harm, you know, that they, that incarcerating people, their loss of freedom is the punishment and the environment should be normalized. They actually have a principle in their constitution called the principle of normalization. So the life inside prison has to mimic life on outside to the extent possible. And we're not there yet and, um, you know, their prisons are not crowded. Even though, you know, some of them feel like their prisons are crowded, I will tell you that we went to their youth prison, and they had in the same square footage that my uh, youth prison has 1,400 inmates, they had 400. And and that's how the math kind of worked uh, throughout the system. Their um, staffing levels were so much higher, their resources. They had, like, one psychologist for every four inmates. i couldn't even imagine you know that level of spend but you couldn't spend that you couldn't afford that if you had as many people locked up as we do in america Mm -hmm. so i think the takeaways were we can do better as far as focusing our environment and trying to make it as normalized as possible inside but we're only going to get so far until society really buys into a vision of corrections that really seeks to correct and and Um, isn't so focused on punishment. Now, I will tell you, though, that this opioid epidemic is something that I see similar to some of the circumstances that led to the the transformation in Germany and the Netherlands. And the transformation in Germany was a byproduct of the Holocaust. And and how I would describe it, and I'm not trying to be flippant comparing the Holocaust to the opioid epidemic, but how I would describe it is in the Holocaust, People at all levels of the social strata were personally impacted by concentration camps, incarceration, and obviously horrendous things like murder. Um, But here, everyone is being affected by this opioid epidemic, and I think what that does is that brings people who otherwise don't care about criminal justice, don't feel like criminal justice policy impacts them, and it puts them proximal to a problem. And so there's not many rooms I go in where if you say, can, does anyone know someone who's been impacted by opioid epidemic? And almost every hand goes up in the room. And, and now, around this epidemic, we're starting to hear a narrative around, we can't arrest our way out of this, we can't incarcerate our way out of this, we have to treat people, and this and that. In America, let's be honest, we look at uh, drugs, uh, addiction, and, and mental health through a criminal justice lens. And so I think that, that this may be an opening for us to change our values as it relates to what we should be expecting our criminal justice system to do, one, and who should needs to go far deep into our criminal justice system, like county jails and state prisons. So I am optimistic in that way that, that this opioid epidemic may uh, have us move forward as far as our thoughts around how we should be using
0: prisons you know, you've obviously been around the world, but but in, I'm wondering, you know, in your time in, that you've gotten to know uh, Director Washington, or maybe you've heard about some things going on in Michigan, I was wondering if there's anything that you've heard that they were doing that, that you like, and then also, you know, give you a chance to brag about something that's going on really well in your state, in your system, that you think that uh, we might uh, benefit by, uh, by you emulating. You can say steal, Chris. Yeah. That we can steal, yeah. We I can steal, yeah. Well, <laughs> let's, let's steal each other's ideas.
1: Well, well, first of all, I love Heidi Washington, and she's
0: a, a
1: force of nature, and You know, she really hit the ground running. I remember when she started, and I don't know how long ago that is anymore, because now it just seems like she's been uh, a leader around the table of ASCA forever. But you guys are doing some great work around, especially around employment and and job readiness. I've also uh, seen your outcomes around how you invested in Second Chance and the improvements you made in your, your parole. There's stuff, there's a lot of stuff we can learn from you guys i mean you guys are are one of the systems in the country that folks think uh very highly of so yeah especially your your uh workforce development uh stuff i think i'm pretty sure i saw a video i'm sure one of you guys produced it um that highlighted some program i I can't remember exactly what it was and i see you guys aren't helping me out well
2: it's it's vocational village yes yeah (laughs) and and that and that was that video you saw make make the
1: big look
2: good here buddy come yeah on. hey i was like i was like keep going and go on so, yeah, you'll get it come on you'll get it but uh, no, the, the, the video the video you saw was actually I'm produced by uh, it, man. yeah right <laughs> was produced by Kamara who's sitting right here so she she did that and it's, I'm, I'm sure uh you saw that wonderful video she did of vocational village yeah
1: yeah i thought that was a great concept and that's something that we we really could do a, a better job i mean we're trying to align Are vocational programs with jobs that folks can actually get in the community and that the community needs and we actually have a lot of uh, low unemployment rates here in Pennsylvania and so we actually have some industries that are interested in partnering with us and um, so we could definitely learn that uh, from you guys in particular Um, one of the big focuses we have here going on here is around staff wellness um, you know, and and tell you the truth, we, we've we really put an emphasis on this the last two years. And we probably should have been doing it for the last 20 because it's such a difficult job and we really want to make sure our staff do good outside of work and are okay outside of work. When I was in Ireland last year, uh, touring prisons, and, and we were at their training center, and they had the coolest philosophy at the training center. They said that they work hard to hire people with the kind of values they want their staff to have. And that their goal is that when staff leaves the job, they maintain those values. And I can tell you, just looking back on my career, that that there's things that I I could honestly say, if I was being um, completely honest, that um, there's areas where I'm not better than I was when I first got in this field because uh, a lack of, I think, understanding and focus around staff wellness. So I'm pretty proud of the work we're doing around that. Um, We're real... Data-based, analytic, moneyball kind of operations. So we have analytics around all kinds of stuff. We have um, we have an intel unit that uses analytics to predict where we're going to have gang issues. Uh, it's really cool work. We have um, we partnered with Lehigh University, which is a local uh, university here. They have a, a industrial engineering program, and they built our inmate move system. So. Um, we move inmates around our system based on this algorithm. And we it saved us $3 million a year because we're making better decisions quicker. It used to be done by hand. Now it's done with a click of a button. So I'm really proud of the analytics stuff that we do here also.
2: Yeah, no, I love that wellness piece you're talking about. That is so important. I can't, you know, it, it's 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 what we should be doing. You're right. And, uh, so I'm glad that you brought that up. And I also like the Moneyball reference too there, uh, Secretary. But you know Chris Chris Gouts over here who's been asking a lot of questions. He's a you know he's a former reporter here in Michigan, um, so he kind of always does the hard hitting questions. And uh, so I'm going to throw you out a couple, a couple softballs couple here at the end, um, <laughs> a couple couple softball questions that kind of interest me. So you know Chris right. and I are, Chris and I are huge sports fans, and if you listen to the podcast, uh, you know we go back and forth. We went to rival uh, colleges, and we know we, that you played offensive line in college, right? Yeah. And you're yep. also you're also a former offensive line coach in college, right? Correct. So do you see a comparison between an offensive lineman and our jobs?
1: Oh, 100%. 100%. It's very very simple. The only time you notice an offensive lineman is when something bad happens, right? So as an offensive lineman, your your lot in life is to bust your ass so other people get credit. But if you get caught holding or something, God forbid, that's the only time they announce your number. <laughs> Corrections. Really, the only time you hear about us is when something goes wrong. Now, our staff go out there every day do heroic acts on a regular basis. Like, I, I guarantee you that your staff and our staff have saved more lives by preventing, for instance, suicides, Then you've had a completed suicide, but you don't get a story in the paper when uh, someone, in the course of doing their job, saves someone's life. But certainly, if, it, if the other happens, it gets in the paper. And and someone wants. Uh, but my co offensive line coach at uh, Shippensburg University had this funny joke. He said, A good offensive line play is like wetting yourself in a dark suit. Like it gives you a warm feeling, but no one notices. So I think that's the essence of corrections, too.
2: Well, well said, Secretary. Well said. <laughs> so, uh, you know, let's, let's talk briefly. Well, uh, you know, for the record, that's why I think we like Kevin, too, because, you, you, I mean, we're the, you know, he's a sports guy, too, played college football. Yeah, but he was a linebacker. That's true. I, yeah, right. But I'm not sure there's a theme here. I don't know if you, you know, we, Chris and I only get college football players on the podcast. But um, So let's, let's talk briefly about, about leadership because I know it's super important to you. You know, leadership is, is one of those buzzwords where there's a million different things. It means a million different things. Everybody thinks it's something different. But what are your thoughts on leadership? What kind of leadership, what kind of leader are you? You know, I, I've heard you say before there's a difference between leaders and bosses. Can you, can you talk about that? Yeah, I
1: mean, I think that, that our field demands leaders at every step of the way. And um, I don't think that being a leader has anything to do with your rank or your pay grade or any, anything like that. I think good corrections facilities, good corrections operations, good parole offices have leaders at all levels. I, I really, just philosophically, I think that the most important thing that I did when I came here from a leadership development standpoint is give folks a margin of error and understand that if all you're doing is going by the book, then you're running a terrible system. Because there's no book ever written that can describe every circumstance and every scenario your staff is going to have to deal with. And if you handcuff them to that book, you take away their ability to think on their feet, and that's the worst thing a system can do. So I really think it's important to create a margin of error that when people make honest mistakes, that shouldn't be a career killer if a, a superintendent or a warden of a facility uh makes an honest error trying to do the right thing that you're not transferring them to the furthest uh, reaches of the uh of the state, but you're creating a margin of error and you're you're rebuilding and you're teaching and, and doing those teachable moments. And as I tell my staff, that doesn't if eight people jump over the fence, I'm firing you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but for the the vast majority of things, I think that's a critical piece. Secondly, um, I, I tell my staff we had we had a uh, uh, one month where we had like three bad events in three different prisons and and they were all I felt like both errors and I felt like the, the errors were inconsistent with our values as an organization. And I had every all my staff, and we video conference everybody in, so we do that once a week where we get all our facilities and all our pro offices and everything in uh, on a Tuesday meeting uh, where we just touch base on things and those kinds of things. And I, we had a, a meeting like that, and it was intense. But, you know, what I told them is I, I don't hire them because they know policy, because I assume that everyone can read. I hire them to be outraged when they see things that are inconsistent with our values. Like, that's what I expect out of our leaders. I expect you to not suspend your values, that if there's something going wrong or if we're doing something the wrong way, um, I expect you to, to have the guts and respect me enough to pick up the phone and tell me that I'm full of it and we need to do something different. And and I think that's really the essence of of how we try to operate as as an organization. I I want you to care enough to argue with me. I want you to care enough about what we do and the people that we service and and our staff that you're making sure we're doing the right thing at every turn, even if that's not what the policy says. I mean, what we forget oftentimes in corrections is that we write the policy.
2: Right. So I don't want to
1: hear that we can't do it because policy says, unless it's a state law or a federal law, we choose that, and we need to choose the right thing at
0: every turn. That's awesome. I I think uh, we should, uh, I'm glad we're recording this, because I think we should play this for... uh, You were were going
2: to say, I hope we're recording this, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty (laughs) pretty (laughs) sure we are recording this, but I think
0: it's, you know, a lot of our staff do listen to this, but I think we really want to make sure that our our wardens and, you know, especially our our field staff, our, our CFA staff, our facility staff, really that to heart. I think that's a really great message. I think it's really important to hear. And you know, we really you know, can't thank you enough for, for taking the time. And I think it's really important when we have other directors from other states on. It's really great for our staff to hear what's going on in other states. And sometimes it reaffirms what we're doing to, to hear somebody else kind of think the same way and, and have the same kind of buy-in. Um, and, and you're such a great advocate for corrections. And so I, I wanted to just kind of leave with, with this. I was wondering what, um, how you would sell corrections as a career to somebody. I don't know if you, if you give talks. I know you do commencement addresses, and I don't know if you talk about this, but do, how do you sell corrections as a career? What's your pitch to somebody if they're contemplating whether or not they should uh, join uh, the field of corrections?
1: Well, I, I tell you, it's an easy field to fall in love with once you start working here. And, and the first thing I tell people is ignore everything you see on TV. <laughs> uh, because if that's what, if corrections look like uh, that show lockup or something, really want to be at the forefront at the front lines of criminal justice policy if you really want to learn especially for students if like if your long-term trajectory is to work in law enforcement um as a police officer or a federal agent why wouldn't you start if you want immersion into understanding uh the criminal justice system corrections is the place to be um, with that being said, it's a dangerous job and oftentimes a thankless job. I mean, uh, for the first time in our system in, in four decades, we lost an officer earlier this year. Sergeant uh, Mark Bosserman was uh, unprovoked attack and, and killed. And it, it really just shook the foundation of this department when, when we lost one of our own in doing such an honorable job. Um, but i got to tell you, the, the other thing about corrections is that when when the chips are down, when when we're thrown the worst scenario you could possibly have, that's when corrections is at its best. And and in my life, there's been very few um, areas where I've been involved in where you have this true brotherhood and sisterhood. Uh, It's one of the things I loved about football, uh, and it's one of the things I love about corrections. When the chips are down, trust me, Call someone who works in corrections. It's going to work out for you, and and you don't get that in many other fields. I think we're united in a way um, that most aren't, and, and I think it's a beautiful thing. And, and if if you do come in this field, um, and you really this is what you're about, I guarantee. I wanted to be. I, I said I'm going to work for a couple of years, and then go into juvenile system. And 30 years later, here I am. Um, and I'll look back on my career with pride at what we were able to accomplish without the fanfare, without the, the positive PR, but just rolling up your sleeves, going to work, and doing a good, important job for the citizens of, uh, of Pennsylvania.
2: Well, Secretary Wetzel, you know, I, and originally, I, before we started the podcast, I asked you what I, what I could call you, John, or Secretary Wetzel. You said John, so I appreciate that. Um, John, you know, we appreciate you coming on Field Days. I, I know you are a very, very busy busy man, uh, down there in Pennsylvania, you have a large system that you're running. Um, but what you, what you, what you said, what you are saying in public, what you are showing in public, um, is making a difference and, and it matters. And, you know, we can't thank you enough for taking time to talk to Michigan, uh, staff and to talk to the people of Michigan about what's going on and, and, and you know, all the motivating things that you said today that we can take away from this. And like, like we were talking about earlier, it, it, it just re-energizes you to hear other people, um, you know, in, in the same business, talk talk this way. So thank you. We, we, we appreciate it very, very much for coming on today. Um, and we look forward to talking to you in the future. Yep, yeah,
1: and thanks for having me. I mean, your, your, uh, your boss, Heidi, is uh, just a great lady, and you guys are doing such cool stuff and, and such groundbreaking stuff on the social media and really opening up uh, your prisons. And I, I hope the citizens of Michigan understand uh, what a great shop you guys have there.
0: All right, well, thank you, sir. Thank you. Right. As always, thank you for listening. We'd love it if you would help us spread the word about the podcast. You can do that by subscribing to the show on iTunes and leave us a review.
2: You can always follow the department on Facebook at
0: MI Corrections and on Twitter
2: at Michigan DOC, as well as the FOA account at MDOCFOA and the CFA account at MDOCCFA. And you can send any questions you have to the show using the hashtag AskFieldDays. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Field Days Podcast.